1: Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the condition of China in 1945 at the end of the Second World War. Now the, the go-to book um, on the period 1945 to 1957 is The Tragedy of Liberation by Frank Dakota. Um, Frank Dakota um, has in his trilogy of books about uh, China... Uh, from uh, 1945 to the death of Mao in 1976, um, coming for a little um, criticism from some reviewers, who uh, present saying that he's presented uh, events as being uh, unremittingly bleak and suggesting that um, there was uh, no um, no upside uh, uh, whatsoever. Um, It's difficult, really, to look at Maoism in any particularly positive light. Um, There were social groups that um, benefited under Maoism, but um, many of the people who did benefit benefited temporarily. Um, And, uh, for example, if you think of China's peasants who did enjoy land redistribution, but then were forced into communes and afflicted by Mao's famine. Um, so it is difficult to see um, any upside to maoism um, but if you look at the um, the studies done by Sheila fitzpatrick and uh, in her book everyday Stalinism, uh, the uh, horrors of Stalinism didn't impede into the lives of all individuals every day. But all individuals were shaped by a hyper-bureaucratic system which was riddled with corruption and um, bent by utopian ideologies um, forcing them to have to kind of adapt. So perhaps we need uh, uh, an everyday Maoism. Just saying, Mr Dakota, if you're listening. Um, So... The dropping of the atomic bomb on um, Hiroshima on August 6, 1945, followed by the dropping of the bomb on Nagasaki, brought the Second World War to an end, and the unconditional surrender of Japan, which was obviously cheered uh, across China um, as the Japanese invasion of China from 1937 onwards had been one of the most horrific and bloody periods in Chinese history. Um, The uh, city of Chongqing, which had been Chiang Kai-shek's capital, um, was uh, exploded into jubilation, as did um, cities across China. And in 1945, uh, the future for Chiang Kai-shek seemed Relatively stable. He had uh, American backing. There had been considerable American presence in China during the war and large amounts of lend lease aid. Uh, and the final, unfinished business was to deal with the communists, which Chang thought it was eminently possible. Just to let you know um, what the Chinese people had suffered during the Second World War, there is a brilliant book, um, uh, China's War with Japan by Rana Mitter, uh, which um, says, quite rightly, that the Chinese are really left out of um, the uh, many of the, kind of the official canons of knowledge about the Second World War. Their Second World War began earlier. Um, it began in 1937. And it lasted um, till 1945 with an estimated 14 million people killed. Um, So the Chinese war was uh, uh, on its own a vast and and murderous enterprise. For example, the most uh, infamous atrocity uh, was the uh, slaughter at Nanjing uh, in uh, December 1937, Um, where um, civilians and soldiers, uh, Chinese uh, disarmed uh, soldiers and prisoners, were um, systematically um, slaughtered and uh, executed. The killing went on for six weeks. Um, There were men and women rounded up and uh, machine gunned. Um, They were men who were um, blown up, stabbed with um, bayonets and Japanese katana swords, um, uh, horrendous uh, sexual violence towards um, women. It's entirely possible uh, that up to 300,000 people were killed. And at this point, um, Japanese nationalism which had initially had certain uh, liberal aspects to it um japanese nationalism uh, in the early 20th century had been um had em- embraced a kind of opposition to european imperialism and a belief that japan was the power that would liberate asia and become um, the the linchpin uh, around which a new Asia would uh, organise itself, free and independent and democratic. Of course, this doesn't materialise because the uh, Japanese occupation of uh, China and Southeast Asia and the Pacific is far more brutal and violent than anything the Europeans. Could contrive to dream up, and that really, when you look at some, say for example, the behaviour of the French in Vietnam, that really is going something. And the um, the reality of Japanese occupation in Asia was that for every one Allied prisoner of war who died, a um, hundred Asians, be they uh, Malays, Filipinos, Chinese, Indian, Burmese, or or whoever. Um, A hundred times more uh, Asians died uh, than Europeans, Um, and it's always quite salutary to remember that when you're watching films like Bridge on the River Kwai. Japan had used and experimented with biological and chemical weapons, um, a Japanese sense of racial superiority. Um, This uh, kind of perversion of what was a previously liberal nationalist outlook into uh, racial supremacy was not entirely dissimilar to the way in which the Nazis um, looked upon themselves as superior to uh, Slavic people. Um, the Chinese at certain points were seen as a, a potential pupil to Japan that Japan could mentor to become a, a modern, empowered um, and uh, liberated nation. But that really gives way to a racial chauvinism and then a simply a, a, an, an almost genocidal view uh, that it would be far better if the Chinese were wiped out and their lands were replaced or occupied by Japanese people. The uh, the Japanese had a, a similar Lebensraum kind of mentality when they looked at China and thought themselves as a martial people, a growing people, confined on their island island chain, and needing the vast spaces of China to grow in. Um, experiments were carried out on p o w s and there were secret laboratories uh, from uh Manchuria uh, to Guangdong all the way down from the north to the south in china um, Victims were um, subjected to vivisection without anesthesia after being infected with various germs. There was uh, there were amputations um, and other horrific um horrific experiments including um uh, flamethrowers and chemical weapons being tested on prisoners. So um, the most notorious centre for this kind of monstrosity was Unit 731 in Harbin, um, which um, was built uh, along with an aerodrome, a railway station, barracks, laboratories, operating rooms, crematoria, a cinema, and even a Shinto temple. And it contained fleas, um, it contaminated fleas and infected clothing, were developed to spread plague, anthrax and cholera when dropped on civilians in encased bombs. So Japan was developing really the the tools of genocide. They were trying to answer the same monstrous questions that the Nazis in Europe were attempting to answer as to how can one use the uh, tools of uh, modernity. Uh, with science and uh, engineering to wipe out an entire people, and their unit uh, seven three one was a sophisticated and advanced center of research uh, and um, genocide industry. The invasion of Japan obviously caused enormous uh, population transfers. Um, the um, the Japanese um, forced tens of millions of refugees to uh, move southwards, um, to particularly Yunnan and Sichuan, and the, these were the centres of Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist government. But it didn't mean that civilians could be um, anywhere, could be out of the firing line uh, anywhere, because of the development of air power. In Europe, um, politicians such as Erbil Chamberlain, Stanley Baldwin and Winston Churchill um, looked on with dread at the uh, operation of Japanese air power, noting that uh, now there was uh, no safety against attack from the air, particularly as the Japanese were uh, quite happy to bombard and terrorise civilians, realising that... Air power was now a potent terror weapon. Now here's an extract from Rana Mitter's book um, on the uh, on China's war with Japan and he mentions he describes the, uh, the bombing of uh, Chongqing. He says in the spring of nineteen thirty nine Europe was still, albeit uneasily at peace, but some seven thousand kilometers to the east the Second World War was already well underway. On the 3rd of May, the sky was clear above the southwestern Chinese city of Chongqing. The weather was sweltering. Not for nothing is Chongqing known as one of the cities, uh, one of China's three great furnaces, where temperatures regularly rise to 40 degrees or higher. At, na- at noon, Zhang Jilu, a reporter for the Bao newspaper, was getting ready for lunch. In the bustling city around him, the locals were going about their usual business. On the docks, stevedores hauled boxes on and off the ships that plied the Yangtze. Passengers uh, descending from the boats would be mobbed by dozens of sedan chair-bearers. Chongqing is famous as a shancheng, a mountain city, far better to be carried up the steep hills that separate the river from the upper town, if you could afford it. In the markets, traders and their clients bargained for rice, vegetables and meat. The number of customers was greater than at any time in the city's history. In October 1937, the nationalist government in China had announced that it could no longer defend the existing capital at Nanjing to the east against the Japanese invasion that had begun three months earlier. Chongqing, therefore, became the temporary capital. Millions of refugees had fled westwards and Chongqing's population swelled. A city of fewer than half a million inhabitants in 1977, more than doubled in
0: size. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job
1: sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people
0: today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
1: Aside from the crowded markets, the refugees' presence was clear from the ugly slapdash buildings made from mud and metal girders that had rapidly sprung up across the local landscape. These shanties gave an already slovenly-looking city an even more unkempt air. Suddenly, as he was sitting down, Zhang heard a sound whose terrifying significance he knew well. At about noon, we heard a short alarm signal, he recalled. I didn't even finish my meal. But I got ready to go and hide in the air raid shelter in the newspaper office in Jin Tang Street. Half an hour passed, then an even more urgent siren began howling in the short, continuous bursts. The last few people left in the newspaper office grabbed their possessions and ran down into the shelter. At 12:45 p.m., dots appeared in the sky. Thirty-six of them. They swiftly grew larger and louder. From airfields in occupied China, the Japanese Navy could dispatch Type 96 land-attacking aircraft, able to fly over 1,000 kilometers in one single on a single fueling. The Japanese were almost invulnerable and could bomb the Chinese government in exile into submission. From the shelter, from inside the shelter, Zhang heard the noise of aircraft engines. Firstly, he made out the pitiful, somewhat pitifully small number of Chinese air force fighters sent up to engage the enemy. Not long afterwards, he heard the sound of bombs dropping the booming response of the Chinese anti-aircraft guns. The raid continued for a full hour before all, the all-clear was finally sounded. Zhang went to see the damage. All across the city, from the docks to the residential districts, the buildings were gutted and bombed into hollow wrecks. So complete was the destruction that the surviving buildings seemed to him the strangest of all. At one junction, a cluster of banks stood undamaged amidst the rubble of endless flattened structures. Okay, so that gives you just a flavour of the kind of terror that was meted out on the Chinese people from Japan. Not just once, but endlessly over an eight-year period. And then there would be another four years of civil war to contend with which would end with the um, development of communism in China and the ascension of Mao Zedong as the uh, first leader of communist China. The brutality of that civil war is hard to explain and hard to describe if you ignore the Japanese invasion of China and the monstrous cruelties inflicted by Japan on the Chinese people. So once the uh, Japanese were defeated, the... um, vast numbers of refugees that had fled to the interior away from the occupied north and the coastal regions that Japan occupied uh, began to go home. Um, And millions and millions of exiles began uh, packing up their belongings, selling what they had accumulated and preparing to return to their uh, homes. The Japanese surrendered to the Chinese on the twenty-first of August, at uh, Xijiang um, Airfield in Hunan Province, and uh, Major General Takeo Imai um, of the Imperial Japanese Army um, was forced to hand over uh, maps uh, showing the positions of uh, a million Japanese troops in China. These troops were actually allowed to retain their arms, um, and this was a pattern that was found uh, in um Indochina as well, the, the British allowed the Japanese to retain their arms uh, because it was virtually impossible for the British to maintain order and have an, an orderly handover of uh, Indochina back to the Vietnamese uh, otherwise. The, the Japanese were used as auxiliary troops in um, China, in Indochina, uh, until obviously the nationalist troops turned up. The greatest fear that the Nationalists had was was, was that parts of the country would be abandoned by the occupying Japanese and handed directly over to the Communists. And the Nationalists had help in um, taking those positions that were going to be very quickly vacated by the Japanese. Um, The cities south of the Great Wall um, were the scene of a huge, huge uh, American Air Force airlift. For example, 80,000 troops alone were flown by the US Air Force uh, to uh, Nanjing. Um, Shanghai saw um, the uh, Nationalist 94th Army um, uh, airdropped and airlifted uh, to quickly seize the city. And the Americans knew that time was of the essence. And on average, every single day, um, up to 4,000 nationalist soldiers were in the air on the orders of General Albert Wedemeyer, um, who was uh, one of Roosevelt's many top soldiers in China. A significant complicating factor in the days after the uh, detonation of the atomic bomb was the decision by Stalin... ...to declare war on Japan. Stalin had promised Churchill and Roosevelt at the Yalta Conference... uh, ...that he would intervene against Japan once Nazi Germany was defeated. Of course, uh, three months later, Roosevelt had died... ...and was replaced with Harry Truman. And Truman had wished, really, that Roosevelt had never asked Stalin... ...for this kind of undertaking... Stalin had a price for his involvement. He wanted um the old um Russian treaty ports of Dalian and Port Arthur back. Stalin also wanted to have um to extend his control over Manchuria by controlling the Manchurian railway system, um which was a, a joint Chinese and uh, Russian enterprise anyway. Uh, dating back to Tsarist times. Roosevelt was absolutely fine with these concessions and behaved much as Churchill tended to do, signing away Chiang Kai-shek's rights without even consulting him. Stalin asked for two months' food supply and fuel for an army of 1.5 million soldiers Um, that would mean that China would pay for a Soviet occupation of itself. Roosevelt thought that this was, again, eminently reasonable and sent um, vast sums of uh, lead-lease equipment, including 500 Sherman tanks, to the Soviets. This meant that the Soviets were able to keep a million men in Siberia. Uh, and on the 8th of August, they crossed the Amur River into Manchuria and um, poured southwards On armoured trains and used the East China Railway system to reach Harbin, travelling at over 70 kilometres a day, which was a kind of a a rapid pace for war in uh, chaotic China. It was to be the occupation of Manchuria that would give Mao a huge head start in the uh, Chinese Civil War, the resumed Chinese Civil War, that was uh, uh, about to begin again and last for the next four years. By occupying Manchuria, uh, Stalin could give Mao and the Chinese Communists a safe place to operate from and to retreat to. Stalin didn't want open confrontation between Mao and the Nationalists just yet. Firstly, he wanted America out of China. He thought that uh, America in China and Korea armed with an atomic bomb was extremely dangerous for him and particularly as Mao was intent on fomenting uh, um, outright war with them, um, drawing potentially Stalin and Truman uh, against one another in a proxy war. Stalin tells Mao in 1945 to slow down To avoid direct confrontation, Mao's, one of his plans was to send a guerrilla force uh, of undercover fighters into Shanghai and to rise up and seize the city. Um, His intelligence told him that the uh, nationalists hopelessly outnumbered him and that there was a low level of popular support for the communists in the uh, financial centre of of China, uh, Shanghai. And Mao, uh, under pressure from Stalin, uh, a pressure that he always resented uh, and never quite forgave, backed down. Mao looked to Stalin's um, occupation of Manchuria and was deeply resentful, uh, essentially um, petulantly thinking, why why are Soviet communist forces able to act in this particular way, where the People's Liberation Army... Um, the Chinese communists are forced into second place and told uh, when to sit down by Stalin himself. Stalin's occupation of Manchuria obviously uh, offers a a solve to these hurts, and Mao was able to take comfort in the 100,000 troops he was able to secure, in this nice communist-occupied territory uh, from Outer Mongolia into Manchuria. In 1945, on the uh, 20th of August, uh, Stalin sends a message to Mao uh, saying that he must not confront the nationalists. Uh, Prior to that, Stalin had signed uh, the Sino-Soviet Treaty with Chiang Kai-shek, recognising him as the leader of a United China. On one level, uh, Stalin hoped that this would appease the Americans for long enough um, for them to think that China was secure and for them to eventually go home. But Stalin also thought, well, if a revolution doesn't come off in China, I'm relatively happy dealing with Chiang Kai-shek. He may not be a communist, but I kind of get the guy he is. And the idea of having a fairly stable China on my doorstep albeit led by a nationalist strongman, while Stalin had dealt with far worse than that, um, that's not too much of a problem. Uh, Mao was always an unknown and untested uh, quantity to Stalin, and Stalin finally makes up his mind about Mao uh, significantly later, as we shall see. This um, decision by Stalin to back Chiang Kai-shek came with an implicit threat that Stalin should have all the concessions in China that he wanted. His chief negotiator, T.V. Sung, um, went to Moscow and agreed uh, to hand over the treaty ports and the railway network of Manchuria. And in order to uh, prevent, really, Stalin from changing his mind and backing a communist-occupied north and uh, resulting in, really, the the partition of China. Now we're going to continue that later in the week and look at um, the events that unfold when Chiang Kai-shek in 1945 meets Mao uh, for the first time in just over two decades. Um, I hope you found that useful today. Uh, If you like these podcasts and you're keen to support them, uh, check out a link in this podcast, uh, the blurb below, uh, to our Patreon page. It would be a treat if you can support us. If not, please go over to our iTunes page. Give us a good review. Give us five stars um, because it all helps to get the word out. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more